Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host, as always. And today we are joined by Beju Solanki, a renowned performance psychologist, speaker, and coach with a passion for empowering leaders and entrepreneurs. Beju dives deep into the psychology of success, guiding individuals to play a bigger game in both their personal and professional lives. From mastering the inner game of thoughts and emotion to strategizing the big picture, Beju's expertise has transformed countless high performers. A TEDx speaker and author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Change Your Game, Beju's journey from the corporate world to entrepreneurship is truly inspiring. Today, he stands as a beacon for those seeking impactful leadership and abundant mindsets. I've asked him to join us here today to share his story and help us all look into the depths of our own entrepreneurial spirit. Beju, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? Yeah, no, very well. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me onto your podcast. So looking forward to this and, and seeing how I can help your, your listeners. Yeah, thank you. Me too. I, I feel like you're my brother from another mother. I haven't gone through your stuff and the research for this call. Obviously, okay. you're more charming and handsome. So let's talk about the beginning of your story, like your entrepreneurial journey and learning these skills of marketing and sales and managing people and teams. Is this something your parents were involved in? Like you come from a family, a background? No, you're shaking your head. No, not at all. Traditional family in terms of our Asian Indian background, very much all about education, getting a good university education and getting a decent job and growing up it's just it wasn't like oh should we go uni not go uni it was just a thought it was just an inevitable thing even though I wasn't a, a straight A student I wasn't a geek but I wasn't I was A's and B's maybe the odd C's no C's and B's maybe the odd A so I went to university but through didn't know what I want to do and I there's only really five professions I thought we could have doctor accountant pharmacist shopkeeper and engineer right, and right. it was like choose one of those and not knowing what I wanted to do, I went to uni, I did the maths degree, I thought, okay, well, I'll do maths because I'm sure that's something to do with accounting. I hated it. But during the first year, I remember I was, we had libraries then before the internet. We used to go to the library to do research. Back, back in the day? I went to the, back in the day, <laughs> back in the day. I'm not sure if you're old enough to remember that, but yeah. I, I remember and, that. Uh, yeah. I was in the library and I saw this book and I picked this book up and I couldn't put it down. And it's the first book I wrote, read on my own volition, cover to cover. And it was a book all about body language. No, and I was fascinated about, oh, so you can actually communicate and people, you can read signals and understand why, where people mm -hmm. are at. And that just took me onto a path of psychology and human behavior. And I went to my tutor, I said, look, I want to do a psychology degree. And long and short of it, I was transferred to do a psychology degree. And I did that, did a master's in sports psychology. Mm -hmm. And my first proper job, if you like, was a psychology lecturer. So I had no motivation, interest, or even awareness of starting my own thing being an entrepreneur and anything like that and I loved I fell into being a teacher but I loved it I loved lecturing I loved imparting a knowledge to 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 people and I did that for four years but I, I and I got sport was my second love and I wasn't a professional athlete at all but I played cricket at a, at a decent level but I love all sorts sort of sports so well, I love psychology love sport let me study right. sports psychology and that's what I did so this is early 90s. This is when sports psychology wasn't, it maybe may different in the States, but in, especially in the UK, it was very much a 
new science and not understood. And like, if you need a psychologist, you must be really something really wrong with you as opposed to getting the edge, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think at that That's time, it. at that time, only the British Olympic team only started using them. But again, it was very much a part-time consultancy thing as opposed to one of their main bookroom staff. So I did that, aiming to be a sports psychologist. And then life happened. You get married, kids, and there was a fork whereby, okay, I needed to earn some money. So I got this sales job. And so let me do this for a few years and then go back to psychology. And the job gave me a lot of travel, earned good money. It was easy because my life was easy in terms of paying the bills, all the rest of it, as opposed to do I create something whereby I go to do sports psychology where it wasn't so popular then, it wasn't so understood and there's a mm. big risk. So I thought one day I'll do it, but ended up being there for nine years. And right. during that time, I discovered coaching. Coaching started happening, little things. And during the 2000s, I discovered coaching, went to a course, one of those courses you find, a weekend course. And all of a sudden, I thought, wow, this is everything I learned in psychology is quite a dry subject. It's very empirical. It's all about proving or disproving a hypothesis. That's what psychology is about, really. I'm not a psychiatrist. Psychology is all about human behavior, explaining human behavior, and trying to find a correlation about why certain things occur. In layman's terms, social learning thing about Pavlov's dogs, reinforcement theory. If you associate a sound with a certain stimulus, then there's a connection. Yeah. So it's just Pavlov's dogs. Behaviors. Right. Pavlov's dogs, and then you've got then you've got the obedience, the Milgram's exercises, and all these sort of things. So a lot of psychology was proving or disproving why certain things occur. But when I discovered psychology, I found, wow, the, the concepts in psychology are very practical in how we help everyday life people to be better or mm. overcome stuff. So if you take a normal distribution curve, you've got people over here which are geniuses, one percenters. They're, they, for whatever reason, wherever they put their hand to, they're going to be successful. You've got the other end where... It doesn't matter what happens. There's various trauma, mental illnesses, stuff that it doesn't. But you got cohort in the middle, where with a little bit of intervention, with a little bit of support in a pragmatic psychological way, they can achieve more with the same resources. And people don't. People often fall into the trap of having what I call Tourette's everyday exclusive, which you can expand upon. So yeah. So then I did say I was nine, two thousand and seven. I realized I don't want to do this because I was in a I was in a job, and I earned. I did this deal, massive deal, New York University, earned a lot of money. I remember sitting in the hotel room thinking, I've earned a lot of money. And in my, I'm my direct associate director in my company, apart from being an equity holder, there's nothing else more I can achieve in this company. Why yeah. do I still feel right. empty? So that right. was the moment I flew from New York to London, found out all the reasons why I'm giving myself excuses not to leave. And the only real pragmatic reason was just making sure there was enough funds so I could leave, start my business and not put myself into the frying pan out of the fire. Right. And, and so what age was that at when you decided to... 37. 37. So at 37, yes. you decided to start a new career. I'm going to leave this cushy corporate job I'm doing very well, getting paid very well for, and I'm going I'm to do this thing. While... You, correct, you were kids, while right? I, yeah, at that time. I've got three kids. They're adults now, but at that time, they were... 15 13 and 9 yeah so all the bills and whistles that a normal family man would have and all the obligations of paying the bills and stuff absolutely i think that's a really important one because <clears throat> there's no time to start a business or get into it than when you're young but also there's no time like the present i think there's it's worthwhile saying in 5000 years what we do now maybe won't matter so much and also recognizing that we're all going to die eventually any day. Any, as far as there's hopes of AI, okay, great. But so far we haven't cracked the immortality code and people have been chasing that dream forever. So let's just 
hope for the best, but plan for the worst. And the worst is we're all going to die eventually. So why not make the most of the time you have here? I like to think if you have an immortal soul or whatever, if you think that you've got some sort of, there's a universe, if you don't believe in God, then there's a universal creator, whatever. There's some, or even if we achieve, let's say we achieve immortality, you achieve immortality. Oof, now you can live forever. What becomes the trophies for you then? What become the things of your soul? Is it the mundane day-to-day or at the times that you stepped up and took on a great challenge and rose to the occasion? What what often happens, you talk about mortality, what often happens when people come across a scenario whereby they know their life is ending, that's when they step up. And you're right. And we can easily say here, only one life, go out for it. But unfortunately, we are, humans are born into a society where it's not conducive to high performance. Our DNA the way humans are born, we're born to survive, not thrive. Mm. And society, if you go, we're not going to go down the conspiracy theories about what's going on in the world, but it, as a blanket view, it's not conducive for you to achieve your potential. As long as you can do enough so you can eat, have a few holidays, have a nice car, a decent house, and you're okay, and you follow the herd, you're going to be fine. And then you've got the elite that sort of break. And then for them to achieve that, they've got to think in a different way. They've got to achieve in a different way. So then why does the work that we do is so important is because people are ignorant, not through their mm. own opinion or their culture. They're ignorant because to explore an unknown, as humans, we don't want change. To explore an unknown, the risk of exploring the unknown where we don't know how we're going to respond is too yeah. great. Yeah, fear is not holding people back. It's sorry, failure is not holding people back. It's they don't trust their response to a failure and coping with that in Uh terms of their mental health, in terms of judgment, in terms of if I'm taking three steps forward, I can't take that other step because that step could mean I step three steps backwards and I've worked too hard to do that. So I'm going to take this other step, which means the risk of me stepping three steps backwards is very low. That that, that that safe step still doesn't make you feel alive. And you take those safe steps from the outside. It's, oh, you're doing all right. You're doing great. You're not being bankrupt. You haven't lost your marriage. You haven't lost your business. You're doing all right. And inside they go, they're, they're telling them, yeah, I'm all right. I'm good. I'm looking good. But then they go home and then they think, why don't I feel alive? Then they look at someone else who yeah. on, looks a similar talent, similar mm-hmm. resources, wow they're smashing it and then we start getting this our jealousy or think of oh it must be something wrong with me because if they've got the same as me they must have something that means they can take the action because there's no way if they knew what i knew they would take the action but they do because they have a different risk profile what they think is you must have a secret source you Mm. don't understand me beige i can't leave my job i can't start my business and then when i say actually three kids wife ex-wife now but wife house all the rest of it and i left my job because what i started to do is look at pragmatic reasons and people aren't people don't understand their own psychology and they come up with these terrorist excuses and when you start to understand this is your psychology so own it and then from that psychology what could be a, a choice or decision today that will make you feel and then the level of risk the level of and then they come into is it maybe tomorrow? I'm not ready, and all this stuff. So it's about changing the narrative, taking the action, and not being attached to the outcome. Yeah, that's the belief. It's the mindset. It's two people looking at a similar scenario with two different perspectives. Because the downside, people may not may or may not realize this, but 
for me at least, and I don't know, I don't necessarily, and I do analyze myself, but I, I could be full. I know I'm full of biases and flaws, but I feel like people don't realize that there's a finite downside. If you take that risk and fail, if you don't die and you don't sacrifice, you're not, you don't become sick as a result. Like that's the worst case scenario. And like I said, we're all going to die eventually, but the upside is is almost infinite. Yeah, but what, what you're judging there on is the only impact on the fact that they're still alive, they still can move and breathe and do something. What we underestimate is the psychology of people thinking they're being judged. So even they take an action, they fail. After the failure, they still have all the resources to take another action, right? right. But their failure, what they're preoccupied by, what people think. Yeah. Yeah, you and that disables that. them. Bad. So when you look at when you look at the logical aspect of actually the resources you still have at your disposal after the failure can right. mean you could succeed is that's too logical. The emotion of then am I and then they the opinion of others, the comparison of others, the, uh, the, the their own response to their own failure and beating themselves up is not taken in consideration when we're doing coaching. And that's because what people do is they live in a life whereby I have to look good. Yeah, I'm vulnerable. I yeah. have to look good. How do I look good? I'm all right. Have a good day. I've got a nice car. I've got a nice, I've got my iPhone. I've got my, I'm going out. Look at my Instagram stories. Yeah. Yep. And yep. we know intellectually that an Instagram story is an edit of someone's life, but right. we take one aspect of their story and we think, oh, that must be all Everything. of Everything. Yeah. 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 I agree a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I like this quote, create a life that feels good on the inside, not just looks good on the outside. And I think that's a really important one. There's actually a list. I'm going to pull it up. Pretty uh, regrets. My dad found this in the newspaper. It was, it was just a little clipping from the newspaper. It's called top regrets of the dying. And I actually have a point. I have a calendar thing on my calendar. Look at this on a regular basis, maybe monthly, quarterly. And it's just a title sentence and five bullets. Top regrets of the dying. After years of palliative care, nurse Bronnie Ware put together this shortened list. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends and I wish that I had let myself be happier. And those were the top regrets of the dying. And so for me personally, I look at that and if I ever feel like I'm leaning into any of those, then I know I need to change something. So I almost feel like that the review process of having either people to talk to or like a mastermind business people you speak with or a coach where you stop and reflect and look, because that's almost like New Year's resolutions. People don't think about their life till the end of the year. And then they think about next year and then they make the goals and they don't have, they don't iterate fast enough as part of what I think, like you say, and then they end up living in a bubble in the now. And they're like, in it, not above it, looking at their life, yeah. you know, designing it. What were some of the biggest Absolutely. challenges for you? Obviously, you mentioned a career in sales that can be a really tough grind with a lot of rejection, a lot of having to work on yourself and your own beliefs. Yeah, there's two ways I looked at the sales career because it wasn't a very good company in terms of their support and training. You just sort of given a desk, given a phone, and get on with it. Now, yeah. <laughs> the luck I had is before that I was an academic. I was working in, I had a bit snobbish view about sales. Oh, and, and I've got a degree and all this sort of stuff. But the company I worked for, it was media sales. But what we were doing, we were selling a marketing package for universities to recruit students, right? Mm. I just fell into it, right? So my target audience was universities. So I used to phone up universities and wanted to and position myself as an academic who is helping our university recruit international students. This is before the internet. So we had magazines and we had trade shares. 
So right. we used to go to universities and say, okay, how many, where do you want students from? You know, oh, we want students from India or China or wherever. And especially in the UK, the fees were four times a domestic student. So there was a cash cow. So I used to, I was, I just spent a day, two days in the office, setting up meetings wherever. So right. my first market I worked with was UK markets. I used to go to universities around the UK. But when I went to these meetings, I just said, I didn't position myself as a salesman. I didn't position myself anything, right? I had no sales training. And why I went there and I started just talking and because I'm an academic, I just love that world of academia. And we hardly talked about the thing. We talked about I'm, a, I'm an academic, what the challenges of students and academic world and blah, 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 and all this sort of stuff. And then probably, if you took a, a pie chart, probably 40, 45, sorry, three quarters of the meeting was just on stuff. And then the last the quarter of the meeting was actually, so how do you guys help us? Oh, we got this magazine and we can get students in. It was that. And because I built this rapport and there was no sales tactic, it was just refusal of wanting to be seen as a salesman. And then what happened was, is I didn't get many deals, but the deals I got were chunky, proper yeah. chunky. Yeah. And then it was about six months into the job, my director goes, because what are you doing? Because you don't get many deals, but when you do, they're decent. They're like, we used to sell ad pages. And I went, I'm just going there and I don't know, I'm just doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And then we started breaking it down. He goes, oh, so you're building rapport. You're not pushing. You're listening. And I thought, fuck. And then I, it was reverse. And then because I was, and then they put me onto the European market. So I started traveling around Europe. And then I was the American market. And then I was the social director. So then the social director means I can go anywhere in the world. So I went to South Africa, I went to America, I went to Philippines, I traveled all, I went, I've been to 32 states in America in that time. In one year, I traveled to America 12, 12 times. So every three weeks, I was from London to New York, did my thing and come back. And in sales, there was a lot of rejection, but because I didn't want the job and I didn't like the job, when someone rejected me, for me, sub, I think looking back subconsciously, it was a step towards me losing the job so I could do sports psychology. So it's really weird. I didn't get affected with the rejection because I wasn't wanting it. But when I got the deal, because it was a chunky deal, I was noticed by the sort of the leadership team, go, oh, hang on, these quarter deals don't happen, but I'm not getting the sort of smaller deals. And when you think about sales, smaller deals occur because you're trying to discount or come on, let me get you in, let me do a trial. Right. Because I wasn't going after the deal, I was just wanting to re resist them thinking I'm a salesman and I'm an academic the consequence of the deal just occurred. Weird. I love that. Because what is, I, I, there's a saying, it's like sales, I don't want to be trying to sound smart, but the whole purpose of sales scripts is to create a structure of a conversation between someone who really cares and a person that they can help. It's not about pushing things on. All a company is a group of people to help another group of people and they do it with a product or service. But there has to be yeah. that, that trust that no like trust, I think. So I really appreciate that. So let's talk about sports psychology a little bit. What's What separates average from elite players? On the surface level, it's a complete single focus to win, to be the best, right? In that, whereby failure is not an option because that's all they really have. That's their identity. They're defined by that trophy, by that medal, by that whatever. So whether you're oh, a, defined, a soccer player, yes. NFL player, basketball, whatever, right? And... What the really elite do in a quirky way is detach themselves from the result. So you look, if you watch yep. Michael Jordan and you watch the story, his only focus was to be the best basketball player in the world, right? And he knew if he created his lifestyle accordingly, i.e. the diet, the training, 
the doing the shots after the normal training and just being on the court and doing what he needs to do. If he and when you think about if you watch the film, is he let his mother do all the thing? He wasn't interested. He goes, I just want to be a player. And he knew in himself because of the talent I have. If I just do the work, the results will look after itself. Look at the elite around the world. LeBron James, you look at, I'm talking about American people here, Jeter, you've got David Beckham, you've got Pele, you've got Messi, you've got Maradona, you've got all the golfers, you talk about Rory McIlroy, you talk about Sever Ballesteros, you talk about Nicholson, all these people, right? They focused on knowing, because they know the end result, they just focus on the process. So think about sport, all sport, which is different to life and business we know what success looks like. So for example, in basketball, what success looks is I we have more points at the end of the game. That's it. In hockey, more goals. Right. In NFL, more points. So we know. So we don't go in the change room and sit there, guys, what are we going to do? We've got to score more goals. Yeah, no shit, Charlotte. Of course we know <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You don't That's sit there in the again. Yeah. yeah, you don't sit there in the Ryder Cup saying, what do we guys? We need to get more points than them. No shit, Sherlock. Right. So the result is taken care of. What they focus on is the strategy, right. is the process, is it? But in life, there's too much focus on what's the result. Well, yeah, we want X number of revenue, all right? And every day we've got to get a result, got to get a result. We know what the result is. You don't focus on the process, what works, what to turn up, the consistency. If right. you, do, you support a, do you support a sporting team, Daryl? No, not really. I, I, I'm a little intense. I don't watch TV and that sort of thing. I'm very focused on my own life and my own goals. So I don't watch okay. sports and stuff. Give me yeah. a sporting hero that you're, so you know about Michael Jordan, right? Of course. Of course. I watch the documentary. I study success. That's part of why you're here. Okay. I study people like you. Yeah. Okay. And part of that is under, who did he play for? Who did he play for the? The Chicago Bulls. <clears throat> Chicago Bulls. Now say you were a Chicago Bulls mad fan. You know what? There were part. There's people out there who live yeah, for the fixture, yeah. and they're they're weak. Their mood is dependent on their whether they win or not. Fine, that's yeah. great. Imagine if the Chicago Bulls players they just turned up the day before, a bit of a warm up, and then played the game. Oh yeah, you'd be like, what? You're professional players. Why aren't you training every day? Why aren't you eating the right foods? Even though they might be down Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's and having Diet Pepsi to feel yeah. guilty during the week and doing that, they want their heroes to make sure they do the thing. Yeah. Right, yeah, because that gives them joy, and then we look at our own lives. Why am I not getting successful? Because you're not consistent, you're not focused, yes. and you're not persistent. And that's it. Talent will work when the talent is worked. Right? I have a great quote for it hard work will always beat talent when talent refuses to work hard. 100%. Yeah, and, you know, and, and the thing is, we know that intellectually, and sometimes even when there's no talent, hard work works, but sometimes talent can be abused. Depend yeah. on the level, right? Oh, yeah. And there's a cer- there's certain sport, elite sport people, <clears throat> 99 times at 100, you've got to have a high level of talent and then you've got to work it. I can never right. be an elite, cricket was my sport. I could never have been an elite cricketer because the talent just wasn't there. I could work my ass off. I could go every next, I could go, but just talent wasn't there. So there's a level of, level of talent and then where do you have to go? It's the same in life and business. We don't, in sport, when you're reaching a professional level, the environment is conducive to maximize the max out of it. Right. It's up to you now because the coaching, then the nutrition, the club. So you're professional. So you've got professionals, you've got population, 100 people. Out of 100 basketball players, 10 are professionals. You've got right. 90 or amateurs. Of those 10 professionals, you've got the top two who are the elite. But all of those 10 are given the same resources. 
and coaching. But the, the top two will be the Pelés, will be the Jordans, will be the LeBron James, will be the top, top, top. It doesn't mean these aren't any good. What it means right. is they're working their talent. But there's going to be someone at number nine who has more talent because they but they didn't work it. Yeah. Right? Yes. In life, because we got consumed with society, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a coach, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a bus driver, whether you're an ice cream seller, whether you're a donut seller, right? Is we get to a point whereby if there's enough reward I'm getting that I don't feel um, challenged, but I'm not willing to go the next step in case I fail. And we, we live in a world where people settle. There's two types of people, three types of people. Settle, but want more. They're the good group, right? But they don't do enough. But the worst type is they settle and complain. They settle and complain. They complain about, oh, you don't understand. It's like that person's lucky because they've got that money. That person's lucky because they've got that support. That person, so they're not even willing to take the first step of doing what they need to do. Then you've got those people who, irrespective of their resources, they don't settle. They want more and they're not afraid to fail. And when right. we look at people who are successful, what we don't see is if you see someone who's successful, behind them, they've got 10 failures. Oh, 100%. We don't want to. Because we don't want to experience any failure. We then wonder why we don't get a, a bit of success. Right. A hundred percent. And I think, again, it's false. It's operating under false pretenses. It's forgetting that there is like the, the worst life can get is death, typically. So if did you die? I always say roof and ramen. In business, as long as you got roof and ramen, everything will be okay at the end of the day. People don't even understand a lot of the false structures around us. Like for example, the five day work week. Like when you look outside your window and you see the squirrels and the birds, none of them get to go, Hey cat, I'm on my week. It's my weekend. Come back tomorrow. Yeah. I'm just not going to eat yeah. today. I've worked yeah. so hard. I need a mental health day. Like that just doesn't exist. We have, we've become apex predators of this planet and we've created all these cushy buttons. And so then we have, it's like the whole luxury. What was it? Adversity makes men, luxury makes monsters. And I think yeah. there's, like you said, there's that complacency. I really love what you talked about. I, I don't know how or why, but I, I remember sitting in my living room as a kid, looking at the window and thinking that it was like a weekday on my school or something like that, or sorry, weekend for school. And I was like, that squirrel doesn't really get a day off, does it? And I remember thinking <laughs> that, and that kind of shaped my approach. And the next thing that shaped my approach was I watched a movie called Groundhog Day. And in it, this guy gets trapped. He gets somehow caught in a time loop. He lives the same day over and over. He's just a shitty guy. You know, his poor character, but he's very selfish. And he ends up waking up and reliving the same day over and over. And the movie's funny. He's trying to figure out how to break things. But it's almost like at some point he just surrenders. And he just accepts that, I guess I'm stuck here for eternity. Maybe this is hell. But I get to choose whether it's hell or heaven. And so he then decides to make every day the best day ever. And so every day he's like becoming the best person. He learns to play the piano. And he's just this wonderful beacon of light in the community in their life. And all of a sudden one day he wakes up and it's the next day. And I made me think, wow, I, what day would I have to have that I could repeat seven days a week, 365 days a year for 80 years. And I would love my life and love where I end up when I'm 80, like who I become. And almost is speaking to what you're saying. If, if I may, I want to read, I have a daily read list. So at the start of my day, I read, and one of the things that I read is this poem about time. I'll read, it's like 20 seconds. Time is the inexplicable raw material of everything. With it, all is possible. Without it, nothing. The supply of time is truly a daily miracle, an affair genuinely astonishing when one examines it. You wake up in the morning and lo, your purse is magically filled with 24 hours of the unmanufactured tissue of the universe of your life. 
It is yours. It is the most precious of possessions. No one can take it from you. It is unstealable. And no one receives either more or less than you receive. In the realm of time, there is no aristocracy of wealth and no aristocracy of intellect. Genius is never rewarded by even an extra hour a day. And there is no punishment. Waste your infinitely precious commodity as much as you will, and the supply will never be withheld from you. Moreover, you cannot draw on the future. It is impossible to get into debt. You can only waste the passing moment. You cannot waste tomorrow. It is kept for you. You cannot waste the next hour. It is kept for you. I have said the affair was a miracle, is it not? You have to live on this 24 hours of daily time. Out of it, you have to spend health, pleasure, money, content, respect, and the evolution of your immortal soul. Its right use, its most effective use, is a matter of the highest urgency and of the most thrilling actuality. All depends on that. Your happiness, that elusive prize you are all clutching for, my friends, depends on that. If one cannot arrange that an income of 24 hours a day shall exactly cover all proper items of expenditure, one does muddle one's whole life indefinitely. We shall never have any more time. We have, and we have always had, all the time there is. By Arnold Bennett, How to Live on 24 Hours a Day. And I love that because I feel like it really gets to the heart of the, pro the, the, the problem. You even said it, the elite, they, they obsess about the details and they focus on the process. And almost robotically sticking to the process and obsessing about it and optimizing it to get more out of every moment of every day. And I just think that's really fantastic. Now, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making? Obviously, when you work with business owners and, and even just individuals that you work with, what are some of the biggest mistakes? Well, when we look at productivity, I look at the gaps in between the thing they do. So I talk about dots and dashes and the dots is what people want to be measured on and who they are so i'm a coach i'm an accountant i'm a business owner i'm a, a technologist i'm a thing so the and then when we look at a linkedin profile it sort of lists the dots I, I worked here i've got this success i've got this qualification i've got this position and we want to tell people about our dots and we want to be measured by our dots but what we from the outside what we look for is people's dashes subconsciously how do they speak to me are they kind have they got a good bedside manner do mm. they do what they say is there, does the integrity show up in, if they say they're going to send me this thing by Thursday, five o'clock, I get it by Thursday, five o'clock. They, they don't come back with the everyday Monday excuses. Oh, sorry, I got busy. Oh yeah, this happened, this happened. And we as kind people accept the mundane excuse. And when you accept the mundane excuse, you are compromising your standard to allow for someone else's lack of standards. So then their standard drops. Mm -hmm. So when I work with business owners and entrepreneurs, I say, okay, well, my assumption is the dots are fine. You're doing, you know how to manufacture that thing. You know how to do that. Right? So, but if you're not getting success, it's in the between the, it's the dashes and stuff. And then this is concept about going back to your poem about time is it's always about energy and it's always about mm. people busy. So I'm never busy, Daryl. And when I, what, what does busy look like? Busy looks like I've got a nine o'clock call. Then I've got a Zoom meeting. Then I've got to write a report. Then I've got to go to another meeting. I've got to pick up this and I've got to send that. And then at five, six o'clock, you can say, look at my day. I've been really busy. No, you've been a mug. It's, <laughs> I look at your day and each activity is an activity, right? Yeah. So I've got, I'm doing this thing with you. After this, I've got another call with my developers. After that, I've got another coaching call. Then I've got, so if you look at my day, I've got lots of activities, but they're all independent things I'm doing. If I collapse them all together, I've had a busy day, right? And when people say to me, I'm really busy, I say, you're not that important, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love that. Important. Yeah, I love that. You're not that important. And remember, you're a speck. You're a bit of dust. 
Yep. You're insignificant in you giving yourself adulation. Now, the paradox is this, is you've got to lean into how do you make your life worthwhile? So if that means you grow your business, if that means spending time with your children, if that means replying to people. How many people, when I say to them, how do you like it when somebody doesn't do what they say? Oh, I hate it. How many people, how many do you like it when they're late for certain things? Yeah. And then I mirror it back to them and they do that. So I've got three tenants in my life. I'm never late for anything ever, whether that involves someone else or not. I never complain. And I always say what I do, what I do what I say, what I do. Now I'm not martyr, I'm no saint. And I say to people, the reason I can never be late here is it's about how do I arrange my life here? Mm-hmm. That means I'm not going to be late. Today in UK time, 9.30 this, right? I've got to arrange my morning. I'm not going to come with the mundane excuse. Oh, sorry, Daryl. I'm just finishing this call. Yeah. Right? It's overrunning. Or yeah. I only turned my computer on two minutes ago and I realized the internet's down. So what do I need to do here? That means I'm never going to be late, right? Mm-hmm. Complain. A complaint is occurred if either an expectation has not been met. So what? how have you set up your life that if somebody else doesn't do something, have you been in communication that the, the complaint occurs? Why haven't you done that? Was there clean communication? Take responsibility for that. And the third thing, do what I say, what I do. And I give myself a buffer. So if I'm speaking to someone and I say, okay, I'll get that. So I'm speaking to them at two o'clock on a Monday. The call finished at three o'clock. I'm not going to say, okay, I'll get that information to you by five o'clock. And this is mission critical. I, In my head, I know I can get that to them by tomorrow morning. I'll say you'll get that by Friday. Yes. Even no over over but everything not just when it matters not just when it matters I, i'm working with one client at the moment and she says do you know what i always feel i'm catching up i'm always the one behind the towel and i'm always i said why and i'm looking at her diary she just panders to the client she goes i i don't want the client to feel we're unprofessional i said can i give you a bit of insight i said look at your whole diary you're completely unprofessional you're quite an amateur actually <laughs> she was quite I said, you act in amateur. There's a great book by Stephen Pressfield called Turning Pro. And he talks about the difference between amateur and professional behavior. And we looked at all of the tenets of professional amateur behavior. And 90% of the amateur behavior she was displaying. But she wanted to be seen to be looking good in front of her clients. Mm-hmm. I said, the problem there is, though, is you they don't get the best of you because you're completely chasing yourself. Yeah. And it's understanding that if we think about go back to sport, you think of a professional sports person, us amateur sports people, look at professional sports, you've been paid lots of money just to play for two hours on a Saturday. But what they don't see is the hundred hours in the week. Yep. That means on Saturday, they can perform at their best. That's right. That's right. right? They have a focus, right? And there's in sport, there's always a, and also remember sport this, right? If you're an elite sports person, you do not dictate the schedule. You can't tell the authorities when to play the World Cup. You can't tell the authorities, the tennis player, can't say, play the US Open. Can you delay the US Open for three weeks? Because I'm not ready yet. Yeah. These people have to peak when the authority is set up. In business, yeah. oh, that's why we miss deadlines, right? And we think we're professional. Yeah, I love and then that. we judge a sports person. So they can't choose to delay the kickoff. If they're not ready, they've got to be yeah. ready. But oh, I've got a deadline Friday. Oh, I'm so, I couldn't meet the deadline because I'd sound the sports people are saying they still turn up for the game. Yeah. So why couldn't you meet your deadline and write the report? That's right. And those deadlines are real in some respects. For some of them, it's life and death of their career. For all of them, is for all of them, they act like soft lines. Right. Yeah. I, I really love that preparation. The will to win is the will to prepare and showing up prepared. Yeah. 
And I think there's a lack of mastery and a commitment. A lot of people, like, they just want to get by. I, I wrote down, after hearing you talk, I wrote down potential, process, passion, and people, because you were talking about the talented people, they're reaching their full potential because they're, re- they're using their talent. There's lots of talented people, but they're not, they don't have the, the passion or the process in place to help them become elite, although they have the potential. And some of that is the people that are around us. I just made that up five minutes ago, listening to you talk. I'll give you another heuristic, right? I'm sure if you go to top sports organizations and you say, can you name a a number of players who had the best talent, but just didn't make it? And they'll tell you that they'll say, yeah, this is basketball player. There was this kid, fantastic, but didn't make it. There's another player. And then you start analyzing, why did they make it? And 99 times 100, because their process wasn't great. Their discipline wasn't great. Their aptitude wasn't great. It was the dashes. The dashes were the reasons why the so-called talent didn't make it. Not because the opportunities weren't there or the support wasn't there. It's their own dashes. Yeah, I love that. Even if people think about it, if you were to get a surgery done and we asked, what would you want from the surgeon or a lawyer or a coach of some kind? I did this when I had my martial arts school. Describe all the attributes of a world-class martial arts instructor for you. And they write down all the things. And then there's the, they know what they're doing. Maybe they have a couple of accomplishments. They don't necessarily need to be the greatest in the world, but it's all, like you say, you call it the dashes. It's soft stuff. They have empathy. They have understanding. They communicate well with me. It's all these soft skills that I think matter so much. And I really, I love that. I love that. The process, the discipline, the attitude, these are the soft skills that will make or break the difference. And something I think people have to realize is while as a species, we're trying to bring everyone across the finish line, evolution to me means you are so much of one thing, you become extra. You have to be a complete chicken in order to become a chicken plus and evolve into the next thing. And a lot of people, like you talk about, they're just, they're not engaged. They're just doing what their parents told them to do or what society told them to do. And it almost brings in this concept of the Japanese concept of ikigai, where for your survival, you really need to find where your passion, profession, and profit can intersect. Because if you're passionate about it, you are going to put more time, energy, and work into it. If Here's another thing is if a university produces graduates in something, there's really no job security in what you do because a company and a university can go train a hundred people just like you. And so the power comes through collecting specialized skills that combine in unique ways to you. And some of that's through pursuing your passions. You become, you enjoy this. So you put in the time, energy, effort, you iterate 10,000. You don't just get the 10,000 hours, you get 10,000 iterations. And that combines with this skill, which now creates something that is untrainable. And I think that's really where a lot of people's success in the future lies. It's almost going full circle back to almost the apprenticeship mentorship model, where we try to train people as best as we can. But if I can train people into it, then there's nothing stopping a hundred people just like you from emerging. And maybe that's okay for a period of time, but you have to understand that the goalpost is going to keep moving. So where do you think the future of things are going? Because right now we've got a lot of disruption geopolitically. There's a lot of disruption economically in the world. The whole world was basically told to stand still for two, three weeks, maybe a couple of months even, and just analyze their lives and see what was happening. Uh, AIs now emerged. We have all these emerging tech. Where, where do you see things being in five, 10 years? So, so get this right. There's change is inevitable. Changes happen, whether it's tech, whether it's geopolitics, whether it's wars, right? So if you look at history of time, there's always going to be something on a macro level that we can use as an excuse and a reason why I can't be who I want to be. So if you have that narrative, then you've got some beautiful, gorgeous, sexy reasons why you won't be, you won't be able to succeed because who can argue against them? 
then right. you've got the other thing whereby you say, okay, we've got the macro world and then you've got the micro economy in terms of what my world is about. Do we know people who've made money in recession? Yeah. Do we know people who were succeeded when there was a lockdown? Yes. Do we know people who, ir- irrespective of a war going on in a certain country or presidents being impeached, impeached yeah. or whether there's floods or whether there's um, disasters in the world which are humanitarian impacted, where people have been able to succeed? Yes. So mm-hmm. it's all about context. So you've got to say to yourself, if there's genuine real reasons why you can't reach your potential right now in terms of circumstances, then I get that. But right. everything is temporary. Mm-hmm. Everything is temporary. Nothing is permanent. I don't buy into, because the macro world is such, in its case, I promise you this, in five years, the macro world will have other reasons why we can't be successful. The macro world in, in 10 years' time will be reasons why we can't be successful. Yep. Because we bind that narrative. 200 years ago, when there wasn't any technology, it didn't stop certain scientists discovering stars in the universe or yeah. stuff. Can you imagine? Look at the pyramids, right? Let's take the pyramids, for example, right? If you go on TikTok, the amount of theories of how the pyramids are built. Based on our awareness of structures and engineering, we have not got the understanding of how the pyramids were built in the time it was built. And we couldn't do it today. We couldn't, we couldn't re- but that's our frame of reference. Yeah. We know what we know. We know what we don't know, but we don't know what we don't know. And that only occurs by asking a different question. And unfortunately, most people every day ask themselves the same or similar questions. Now, 99% of our thoughts today are probably similar to the yesterday and they're going to be similar tomorrow. So how do you expect change? And then you look at other, and there's a compound impact as well. So it's not about changing completely. There's a compound impact around behavior. Yes. The thing with compound yes. impact, yes. the thing with compound impact is that it's invisible. You don't see it. It's, you put a potato into boiling water, is there'll be a point. The only note is changing as you poke it. Oh, it's softer. But you don't see it going softer. The air gets harder because there's a, the, the environment. So what environment are we putting ourselves into? That if we put the egg in boiling water and take it out, it ain't going to be boiled. If you take right. the potato in boiling water there, it ain't going to go soft. You've got to leave it there. Yes. In life, we don't leave ourselves in a situation where we're going to have the compound impact or the result. Oh, did you try? Yeah, I tried everything. Yeah. How long did you yeah, try? No, I, went to, I went to the gym for a week. Yeah. Or, I don't have abs. Ever. Right? Because they're attached themselves to the outcome and they're not focused on the process. So they want instant gratification. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think that's where in some ways society, it's because we we don't, because we're detached from the environment a lot of ways. We live in our artificial cities that we've built, right? In these concrete jungles and and nobody's really farming their own food. You forget that that concept of what I sow today, I will reap tomorrow and that there's a process to it. And, And that I really think is something, and again, in our instant gratification world, I, I also think like you, your emphasis on process is, is incredibly important. And I love that you brought up the like compound interest, essentially compound impact on what you do. And that works for you and against you for people that think like for, again, like not everything, I always like to say, not everything in the jungle kills you and eats you. Something just try to feed on you forever. And if you wake up and like the time quote, if you have 24 hours and you spend seven to sleep, eight to sleep, you have 16, 17 hours a day. And those are like, that's, those are like dollars. 
and you've got your health, wealth, your relationship buckets, and you can pay as much money into those as you want. Like for example, I recently deleted all social media apps. I don't want anything with a feed or notifications on my phone anymore. I felt like it became a parasitic relationship where it was like, who's in control here, me or that? And we are, that, that whole, your message is really one of personal responsibility, personal accountability, planning process and, and direction and, and avoiding basically the dead, the deadly sins. Don't sloth, gluttony, like all these things that'll take you off, off your path. Major, this has been such a good interview. I feel like people may want to listen to it more than once to make sure they get all the nuggets, but I also mm-hmm. want to be respectful for your time. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? No, I think we covered it all. I think there's lots of different nuances that sort of end the road to Damascus is has many different routes. Mm. So we are here and we want to get here, right? So you'll have an interview with someone else who will also give you their way of getting from here, but a completely different way. So right. we can, there's loads of things, but the essence of what I do for my thing around performance is get rid of your own interference. And your right. inter- interference is notice whether you have mundane everyday excuses are you in a situation where at the end of the day, you can look at yourself and say, you know what? I'm not in complaint and I've done what I need to do mm. and I'm happy or I'm mm. settled and I'm okay not going after more and I'm not going to complain about it. And that's okay. Now, right. There was a time where business was really hard for me and I used to go to the local hyper supermarket and in the cafe, right? And do whatever, right? And business wasn't great. And when I was leaving the supermarket, I was used to seeing those people on the tills doing did, did the groceries, Right. I should look at them and be jealous. Think, you know what? It is they're happy doing that. They take their wage home and they're fine. Although they, you look at their life, you go, oh, that can't be that ambitious. But who am I to judge? Got a smile on their face. And sometimes you think, why am I? If I wasn't so driven and want, didn't want so much more, you look at them. You think well, they're happy. They get their wage. They go on the weekend. They have a couple of beers, watch a movie. And that's it. Yeah. And yep. they're not complaining. They might complain a little bit. Oh, they. But they get it. Right. So there's nothing wrong with settling, but when you settle and complain about what you don't have, there's a problem. A hundred percent. I love that. Get okay. this, Daryl. If everybody went for their dreams, we'd be knackered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who's going to serve your coffee at your five-star hotel? That's Who's right. going to make your bed when you're, you know, a luxury thing, right? So if everybody achieved their dreams to the nth degree, you couldn't have the life you want. Yeah, I agree. We need diversity in the jungle. I love that. People love your message. If they want to hear more, they can go get your book, change your game. Where else should they check you yeah. out? Should they go to your website? Yeah, I'm very fortunate. I've got unique names. So if you Google my name, go to my website, bajuslanker.com, but I've got a scorecard, changeyourgamescorecard.com, and it gives you, and it's a bit of a quiz that gives you an indicator of how strong your mindset is, how strong your strategy process is, and how strong your outer game. So my whole premise, in terms of changing your life and game, you need to be able to look at your inner game, you need to look at your game plan, the strategy in your life, but you look at your outer game. It's a combination of those three that change. You can't just have a great mindset and not take action. You can't have a great strategy and not understand clarity here. You can't take lots of action and, and walk in the wrong direction. Got it. So for people that want to see where they're at, test their mindset, take the quiz at changeyourgamescorecard.com. You can also look them up on LinkedIn or just Google his name. It's B-A-I-J-U-S-O-L-A-N. K-I, Beju Solanki. Beju, that's it, perfect. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I know you have your own following, your own family, your own things to take care of. Thank you for coming to share with me and mine so we can all perform a little bit better. No, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate the reach out. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on your podcast. And I hope if everybody's taking one bit of value from this, that can help them improve or change their lives. Yeah, 100%. And go check out changeyourgamescorecard.com.